The Miracle of Joey Ramone. Now, this almost seems like a song designed for me. I was a huge fan of the Ramones at the same time in the band's life that they were a big fan of the Ramones. Um, They really got me excited. They really got me wanting to play in a rock and roll band, even though I couldn't play any instruments, you know. And this is the start of an album that's full of tributes to my absolute favourite bands, really. You know, The Clash, Kraftwerk, The Ramones, those kind of people. And bands that I largely got into because of you too, because I would hear Bono talking about them in interviews, or you'd read a review saying Q of an album, and they'd say, oh yeah, that's very Kraftwerky, or that's very Clashy, and these are all the people who are linked to that album or to that particular song. So I really, I get what this song is about. It's about that freshness and that energy where you realise, ah, that's how you do it. That's how you make a rock and roll song. You don't have to be classically trained. You don't have to be like everyone else. Joey Ramone was not like anyone else. He was so gangly and so kind of, you know, quote-unquote, weird-looking. Hunched over a microphone, big long hair, you could barely see his face, singing in this bubblegum voice, you know. He wasn't anything like what most people associate with punk either. And that's... It's such a great tribute because the song is good too. I think they're your number two band. Am I right in that assumption? Uh, the numbers shift around, but I, I do. I love the Ramones, and I, I really they've been my top five, definitely. They're a band you've consistently come back to since you were about fourteen. Yeah, although I will say their uh, the track record of albums is nowhere near as consistent as uh, as you two. But that's uh, that's we'll have to shelve that till uh, review Ramone. <laughs> I can do that after re Bruce and re Neil Patrick Harris, apparently as well. Yeah. Um... Right, so I'm going to go back now to where I was when I first put this album on. As I said in the intro, I a, a kind of a, a YouTube listening party just happened around me. Um, uh, myself and a, a couple of friends, we just got together, and they they're not U2 fans in the same respect as I am, but they you know they like the, the hits. Yeah. Um, and and they sat there enjoying it, and I could, I could tell they were enjoying it, but I'm. I suppose I'm not over No Line Horizon. That album utterly terrified me. The experience of listening to that album for the first time and realising how bad it was has had a really bad effect on me. So when I listen to new U2 music, I am almost in this place of... Defence? Okay, do I like this or do I just want to like it? Yeah, very true. Because I convinced myself that I liked Boots. I I really convinced myself that I liked Boots. And then just realise I'm lying to myself, you know, because every and nobody was buying it. Um, so I'm when I'm the first time I'm listening to uh, the Miracle of Joe Ramone, it's so uncomfortable, like, yeah. so uncomfortable. A lot of I, pressure because I just don't want it to be terrible. I I, I want it to be okay, you know. I, that's that's all I can hope for at this point. I don't want you two to be irrelevant. I I want them to to have one last you know hurrah before they before they bow out. Hmm. Um. So I'm sat there, and I, and I don't know. So these notes are are no because when I first listened to it, just I just didn't want it to be terrible, and I don't think it was terrible. But I was too consumed with this idea of it being terrible. Um, this is an, uh, one of the songs from the Danger Mouse sessions. So, okay. uh, if you're wondering what that Danger Mouse record would have sounded like, you know, this is a good indication. It's certainly more back to basics than you two have been for a while. Yeah. For, for for a good while. I mean, the the main riff 
as we call it, isn't really a complicated riff like Get On Your Boots is or Vertigo is. It's just jung jung. You know, I mean, it's it's as simple as you can get, really. Yeah, it's four guys playing in a room. That that's it. Yeah, and and that's great to see you two do because that's that's what brought them to the dance, uh, and that's what makes them the money. Um, this song is really tight, really anthemic, really came into its own right. on on tour. Yep. Um, with Bono walking up through the stage, that entrance rivals Portmart. Not as good as Portmart, but rivals Portmart. Um, Bono sounds good and refreshed as opposed to how knackered he sounded. Yeah. On No Line. Yeah. He 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 seems he seems younger. Um, and it's a nice quick album op- opener. I remember that the exact moment because I had that same fear about am I just liking this for the sake of it? It's terrifying. And I I remember I caught myself liking something for the sake of it the first time I listened to Moment of Surrender and then I was like, this isn't very good. Anyway, sorry, back to this song. The point where he says, um, I remember the moment where I was convinced, actually, no, this is good. It was the line where he says, I was young, not dumb, and that melody kicks in and it switches up a bit. And yeah, Bono does sound young. He sounds like he's full of life. And that was where I was really sold. So the lyrics are a big, it's punchy. Edge has got a, the weirdest sound on his guitar. It's so, I almost laughed the first time I heard it because it's like he's turned everything up to 11 and then everyone's left the studio and then he's come back and then turned up everything to 21 or something. It's it's such a great sound, which I have failed to capture, by the way, on the intro to this podcast, but I tried. Are, are, we, are we putting that in? Uh, there's a couple of jung junks at the end, which... Uh, eagle-eared listeners might have been able to uh, hear <laughs> and think, hmm, that's not as good as in the uh, U2 version. Um, but I didn't have five years to make a song, to be honest. Um, no, but it, it, it's it's not it's not world-changing. It's uh, it's not one, but it's a, it's a great song. It's a good U2 song, and I expect this to be a song that they carry on further down the line. I expect mm. it to keep popping up in live shows. And I'd, I'd really like that. I think it, it deserves to you know, be done again and again. Maybe not as regularly as they... I mean, they seem to be infatuated with Vertigo still, you know. And I think it doesn't need that many earrings comparatively. Yeah. But I would like to see this come up again and again. Um, I have a bugbear about this song, though, and it really, really annoys me because it's the first thing on the album that you hear. Um, do you know what I'm going to say here? No. Okay. So Bono is using an effect on his voice, as he very, very frequently does, and does a lot in this album. It's very rare that you get an absolutely dry recording of him without any reverb or anything. But it's so terribly mixed, because the S's, the sibilants, you know, the things that you're meant to be able to spot if you're producing the record, they come through so strongly at the start of this. On the chasing and the days of fear, it's so annoying. You can hear it cut through, and... I don't understand what... They had a million producers working on this album. Yeah. Not one of them heard, oh, we, we need to shave that off, turn the treble down on it, do whatever studio wizardry we need to do to stop it going like that and really, oh, it annoys me so much because the song's perfect apart from that. Do you know what? That's interesting you say that because I've got a similar problem with a song further in the album. Interesting. Um, so... There's a teaser. Yeah, for I think for review two, Miracle Joe Ramon, it's a hit. It's a, it's a step. Well, it's a sprint in the right direction, and um, the filth of No Line on Horizon 
is washing away. Okay, so here we go. This is track two, Every Breaking Wave, the second single. The first single was The Miracle, uh, so track two is the second single. For me, this is gush time, I think. Um, but when I first listened to it, I must I just mustn't have heard it. I must have been too consumed with wanting to like it to actually hear the stuff I did like, which is an interesting state of mind in itself. Yeah. Um, the meaning of this song is, I think, somewhat amb- ambiguous. Um, it's about Bono and Ali's relationship, either now or when they first met. Uh, Bono describes this song as being too painful to talk about. Um and I, I, and what I get from this is like that point in the relationship where where do you, do you just go with the flow and let things happen, or do you let every little problem affect the relationship? Um, you know, like, and do you give yourself to somebody else, or do you you know put the brakes on a little bit and mm-hmm. uh, be a bit defensive and? Well, I'm, I'm struggling for the words, but you get the you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very intimate kind of kind of song, uh, and, and a struggle a struggling love song, I think. Yeah, and I think there's lots of ideas of trying to chase some sort of idea of perfection, which you never can achieve. Really, that's why obviously yeah, no point chasing out all the waves. Time is transient, and the other thing is that that's where to me the um, the whole kind of gambling aspect of a song comes in. You know, we're talking about you know what you hear is to actually to do is to lose. Um, so it's about accepting that there will never be this one perfect score and not everything is going to be perfect, but it's more about that journey and that experience. When you commit somebody, you commit to the flaws as well as, as the perfections. Well, yeah. I mean, going out with someone 100% perfect will be a nightmare eventually, I think. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. Um... <laughs> but... This song, when I was listening to the album, you know, the, the months afterwards, this song made me want to pick up a guitar, and it now that reminds me of, uh, you know, that old Bob Dylan quote that we always seem to come back to on these reviews. You two writing songs that people can play, that that people want to pick up songs that will last forever. That's what they talked about with songs of ascent. They wanted to write hymns that people will sing and songs that will last forever. Every Breaking Wave is that kind of song. Very, very simple to play as well. I mean, comparative to a lot of other U2 songs. Yeah. Really, really simple structure. And There's I've... a beauty in that simplicity, though. Well, I've got written down here, an eternal song. Now, I thought that was a little bit kind of uh, maybe cliche or sentimental, but it does have that quality. Um, and that's why I think maybe the band has gone for that arrangement of it so much over the arrangement that appears on the record you know the stripped down just piano version however i don't particularly like that stripped down version it's good but i really like all the production that goes in this and this will be something that i think i'll come back to particularly i think by and large the production choices on this album are brilliant i don't know how they managed it because they had so many people running around the studio doing different things i i think with this song in particular uh, and that live version that you just mentioned um, they had to make it epic for the show. It's not just a gig yeah. where, where people you know, come to see a band play. When you go and watch U2 now, you see a show and you want to see a show. So the only way to play this song and make it as epic as it can possibly be 
is to have the the piano and and Bono singing and then the band you know coming yeah. in later. And it did work live. It works brilliantly. Yeah, it really, really does. Um, there's, there's a version. I think it's an MTV award show or something. Uh, there's a version online. And Bono's performance of that is heartbreaking. Now, what stands out to me about that in that that song in particular and that version is that wasn't a U2 gig. That was an MTV award show. Very poppy, very young crowd who would have been going there to see you know bands like Coldplay, mm-hmm. artists like Rita Ora, Rihanna. Very different style of music uh, than U2. But you two absolutely tore the house down with that song, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's when I finally thought, okay, this song's this album works. Yeah. When I saw that video, it, oh, this album has got the legs uh, to be a success because the songs translated into the pop culture. Yeah, exactly, completely true. I mean, and just imagine if they come out and come out and done "Moment of Surrender" in a similar forum. When no line on the horizon it would was have out. been the death of them. It just wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't have connected. To be fair and to be frank, I really liked the 360 tour when I went to see it. I did not enjoy Moment of Surrender, and it doesn't connect for me. I'm sure it does for a lot of fans, and that's great. But this is a song which connected, and yeah, that's I guess why they did do that stripped down version. I do love the the sound that sounds so good. Yeah, very. It's, not when it's I do amazing. It. <laughs> um, this is U2's best song in over 25 years. Whoa. This is this is U2's best song in over 25 Down years. Down to brass tacks very quickly. Uh, as it, it has a pop resonance. It has the heart of a ballad and the energy of a rock classic. It This is the this is like a case of the whole band. Um, they know it's a great song and you can hear that, you know, they know the quality of, of it when they're playing. You know when something works when you play mm. it, and, and the, the whole band is just completely unified on this song. This was initially meant for No Line on the Horizon. Yeah, I was going to bring that, that up. That would have been funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> and it works thematically with the it's, No Line on the Horizon thing, still, doesn't it? It still would have been the best song. On, it, it would have been the best song on No Line. Uh, by a light year. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I like, but the thing is. We probably shouldn't start playing counterfactuals here because I think the song went through a lot of different yeah. reworkings. So this version isn't what would have appeared on No Line on the Horizon. And maybe we should be thankful for that because it might have been this song, but, you know, kind of wounded and not fully well, ready to be played. You can probably find some of the early versions of this song because they played it on the 360 tour in 2010. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I know that. A lot of those shows were broadcast to radio shows, you know, local radio stations. And there's bootleggers and stuff like that. So yeah. that's interesting, so but it, I haven't heard it. It's probably out there. I haven't heard it either. Um, we've done really well on the research this week, Johnny. Well, I like to think that we review what's released officially. Like, I, I know that people do, bigger fans than us go to get into things a lot more, you know, a lot more in depth. They probably have whole hard drives full of you know shows and that's great and it's something that as i get older as a fan i will be doing but i think for the reviews we've just got to say this is what was released this is the document you know yeah um but yeah the best song the best u2 song in over 25 years it it's that good and i stick by that now Hmm. interesting i'm not sure i can go that far but it is great um it's certainly the best song since 
Ultraviolet. Pop, in a pop song, I'm not saying it's the best all-time U2 song, hmm. but in terms of a pop song, a song that you're going to release and a song that you want to, yep. you know, want people to buy and, you know, sell an album, sell a ticket. Yeah. Uh, it's a great song. Well, I think time will probably burn you out on that one in the way that now people are returning to songs in the 80s that maybe didn't get a huge amount of their time. I don't mean U2, I mean all bands, you know, and people are doing stripped down versions of them or reinterpretations of them. And people are thinking, wow, this song didn't really chart originally. And then yeah. it becomes like, oh, but this song and this melody existed. It just needed binding again. I think that will happen with this song in about 20 years. It is songs like this that make me angry that a lot of people are so militantly against you 2 because they will just... They'll never hear this song. And this song will never get the, the well, proper they, airtime they it deserves. They get what they deserve, don't they? Then? I mean, if they're going to be so anti this, I mean, then... Tough luck. But but it's a shame for the song. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the song, not for them. Poor old Every Breaking Wave. Well, I think the adulation that it got live is enough. <laughs> Why are you doing the Lucifer's Hands thing? Oh, is that? Oh, I've done the wrong song. <laughs> well done. Take two. I think you're thinking of uh, Bar Bar Barbara, Santa Barbara. <laughs> okay, right. We'll just start anyway. <laughs> this is California. <laughs> there is no end to love, and there is no end to how much Tyler knows the track listing to this album, um, or even what's on it. Um, so, this is a song about U2's early travels in America, about presumably being wide-eyed lads from Dublin who, to be fair, Ireland's a beautiful country, not known for its sunshine. California is, and I think this is where they get you. They get that kind of the beach imagery and the sun in, in this. And it's another one of those songs that could have been terrible. You know, just, it was quite good to have that surprise of, you know, these are songs which we might not have heard about, you know. And to see something like California, you think, oh, what is you two going to say about this? Are they going to sum up, you know, what California is, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it's brilliant. And again, this is about the production. They managed to get the beach and the surf into the production. There are four separate keyboard credits on this uh, song, which, you know, it shows how much attention they paid. That could be a terrible thing, but in this case, it works so well. And when that chorus comes in, I'm always so filled with energy and this album is actually it's hitting lots of different marks already we've had something punky something really uh, transcendent and now we've got something again fast energetic beach boys ish at the start it's, it's so good yeah i think it's really catchy and we said when we reviewed beautiful day that it's really hard to actually paint a beautiful day yeah. or to you know shoot a, a beautiful day or take a picture of a beautiful day Really hard to write a song that sounds like a beautiful day, but they did it with Beautiful Day and they echo that here. Yeah. And they echo it really well. But And I don't think it's just because it's called California, which if you say California to most people, most people who don't live there, I'll say, mm. then you will think of this very sunny place with pe uh, pretty girls on roller skates in miniskirts, uh, that kind of thing. That's what I think of anyway. Mm -hmm. But uh, with this song, I get the idea of a, of a sunset. On being sat on on like the on on a, a bay or a dock, watching you know just watching the sun go down over the blood the sea. red orange sun. Yeah, that that kind of thing. So I think that works. I don't think that's based on any lyrics either. Well, he says, 
What's it? Blood red. Blood orange. Sunset brings you to your knees. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's right in there. So I'm completely wrong again. Um, there is a huge pull to sing uh, sing along to this track. Yeah. Uh, in a in a really really strong strong way. Yeah. And and I think that's been carried forward on the first three album uh, first three songs. The band don't sound like they're trying too hard. Which again, you just go back to the last album, and that's all it sounded like. Yeah, it, it just it sounded like a chore to, to perform these songs and to write these songs. That the I think the philosophy on this album so far, quite fairly, yeah, can be said to be, it's okay to be you too. Yeah, uh, and and they're being completely you too. All right, they're messing with different sounds here and there. And producers, but overall. It sounds like a U2 record, and that is such a great thing to hear yeah. as a U2 fan. I don't, as a U2 fan, I don't buy a U2 record to hear them sound like Coldplay or Bruce Springsteen or, or Rihanna. No, although one of the um, harsh criticisms that was made about the last song was that every breaking wave sounds like, let me try and get this right in my head, um, U2 trying to be Coldplay as Coldplay tried to be U2. So it's this eternal cycle of, you know, Going back to a repeated sound, I think that's not true. I say this again: I like Coldplay, but Every Breaking Wave is pretty. Mu- I Every Breaking Wave is better than anything Coldplay have ever written. Well, maybe so, maybe not. And I would say that I, I'd, I'd love to interview Chris Martin, but I'd say that to his face, and do- he would probably agree with me. <laughs> well, he's a very modest guy. Um, do you think this sounds a bit like No Cars Go, and they purposely put that intro bit on it to? move you away from it because i think if they'd started this song with that drum beat you know just beginning it does sound a bit like no cars go i think i'd have to listen to it again but i've never got i am a big arcade fire fan like, like that larry mullins in the room yeah playing his legs um <laughs> but it, i mean the thing is i don't care i think that it, it has similar definitely rhythmic patterns and a bit of melody that's a little bit similar i've never drawn the comparison but I think Arcade Fire are probably one of the best bands in the world right now. So if you two yeah. are going to draw on influences from anyone, and they are going to, yeah, um, then Arcade Fire is a, a pretty much the band to draw influence from. Yeah, and particularly that that song, which is which is another brilliant song, which is so much it's got so much energy to it. If which they is, can get Regine Chassain on a U two track again, that that's one for the next album with Neil Patrick Harris and Brandon Flowers. Right, Neil Patrick Harris is not getting on this album. <laughs> Definitely not. He's not being the uh, Licky Lee to uh, to. Um, Likey to lie. Well, I heard her today because I did the research saying Licky Lee. A L- uh, Licky Lee, really? App- apparently, but I mean, I I have always said Likey Lie, but uh, you know, I'm not Swedish. Likey Lie would not like to come to Wigan, then, would she? Pro- probably not. No. Um... <laughs> we would butcher her name. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up before I forgot about this is. Very rare for you two, particularly Adam, to do a slide. I mean, I guess Edge does quite a lot of slides, but there is a bass slide on this song. There is something so joyous about the idea that there's a third song in and Adam's going to go... Can we talk about how Adam Clayton somehow on this record just became the coolest man on earth? Uh, This is one of my favourite albums for the bass just purely on bass, yeah. it, it's so good. Um, it's 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 great. But even in like the Invisible video, you know, on the the Jimmy Fallon show when they're on top of Rockefeller Center. Oh yeah. I mean, 
Larry looks incredible, like the Terminator. But he always has done. Yeah, but he's in that long coat and just playing. <laughs> yeah, he does look like the Terminator. Actually. It's just brilliant, and he's in the shades. But Adam, aside from the grey hair, which he pulls off really well, actually. Yeah, but it's silver. He isn't looks it? like an eighteen-year-old. He he looks better than he's ever looked. Well, maybe maybe if you go a little bit closer, you'll see some of the uh, the the lines of age. But I mean, but I think he reinvented himself. I'd like to get himself. very close to. <laughs> Adam Clayton. Okay, well, uh, before we before that occurs, um, <laughs> anything more to say about California? I mean, it's a great song. I mean, it's it's quite a simple song, but that makes sense. But it, it's it is a beautiful song, um, and and a good poppy song. Uh, but the, again, with you two, they always have that that thing that just gets you right in the middle of the chest and mm. makes you feel something. Mm. Um, and. For me, it's the line, uh, there's no end to love, there's no end to grief. I've seen for myself, that's how I know. And mm. it's just that humanity in the song. It's not just a... There's, there's, there's uh, several dimensions to you two songs. Mm. And whenever I hear that line, and just because you listen to a song doesn't mean you hear it, uh, yeah. but when it, whenever I, I hear that line and I focus on it, it's like, man, that's such a good lyric to write. Well, you two are one of the very, very few bands... And this is what a lot of people mistake as simplicity or platitudes. And to be fair, they do occasionally step into the territory of platitudes, see the last album. Um, but when you're writing a song dealing with these huge abstract concepts like love and grief, you two are one of the very few bands that can actually do that and say something interesting about it and capture that ambiguity. You know, there's no end to love, there's no end to grief. The two things are conjoined because he knows there's no end to things being absolutely terrible he knows that there's no end to the potential to resist that that's a good insight and people who just be like oh bono's singing about love again is he going to say baby a hundred times as well okay so we go to track four and this is the third single released from this album song for somebody so no it's not it's called song for someone i mean a lot of mistakes here (laughs) For an album you apparently love. I don't know why I said somebody then. Song for someone. Uh, And that somebody... And that someone... God. That someone is Ali Hewson, the wife of Bono. But is it because this is Song for Someone? He could have called it Song for Ali. Now, obviously, that's a ridiculous name for a song. Um, Well, it's not, but it would be weird for Bono to have done that. He's never been that, you know, kind of specific. And it'd be weird if he did because they're such a high-profile couple. But surely the point of this song, or one of the points of it, is that this is Bono capturing a feeling that he had and continues to have for someone, and this can be applied to anyone. Well, I'm going to stop you there, because I got Bono on the phone the other day. Oh yeah, did you? uh, And I got a quote from him. (laughs) Right? Uh, So, this is what Bono has to say about the song. Hmm. Before I even knew what can be... uh, I mean, what's wrong with his way of speaking he's not falling off his bike again is he before I even knew what commitment was I ended up as a young man in the arms of this young woman in a world somewhat hostile to the concept of childhood sweethearts and first loves well it's nice that he said that to you um, yeah I, I agree that that's captured on the song and um, that definitely comes across it's very very personal to him when he sings it you can tell but I think that's what you two are good about are good at doing. They make they take a personal feeling and they hold it out to everyone else and say, "Hey guys, anyone else feel like this?" Because I really do, and it's either killing me or I want to shout about it 
or I want to sing about it, you know. Yeah. It's like amazingly, it's like Bono sees himself as a minority, like and he's never lost that quality from you know the early days of U two, where they were just desperate kids trying to get out of a, a bad situation, uh, and trying to improve things around them, uh, and so it's like Bono is still trying to make the world understand, you know, who that eighteen year old kid was. Yeah, um, and this album particularly is a really good. Uh, it's a it's a really good way to do that. It, the songs really, they paint a nice caricature of a young Bono and a, and a young band. Really, do you mean caricature is like a you mean like a, a sort of a picture or like a yeah a picture uh, who okay. who they were that I right mean, okay obviously sure. through the eyes of the you know themselves in the in their fifties yeah. And that's, why and that's parents as well, which is, you know, another interesting concept. Well, I feel that, yeah, they're able to, they're able to do that, to have the confidence to do that with simplicity. This is again, just like we've said, I think about pretty much every song we've talked about so far, quite simple to play. You can tell even just by listening to those chords, it's just do, 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 do. You know, it's not, it's not lots of intricate um, production techniques or crazy scales or anything like that. And I think this is what comes with them reflecting on the past and being happy to just be simple and write simple songs. Um, however, I will say, while this song is elegant and beautiful and a really good tribute to um, to Love in general and to Ali in particular, this is also probably the dullest song on the album for me personally. I just mean comparative to the other ones. Um, do you ever get a little bit like, mm, I want to get get through to the next section? If, if anything... Um... I I've started to like this song a lot more. Okay. Um, I've never felt like this dragged the album down. I think the album is still building here, um, and it's it, you know there's a consistency uh, four tracks in, uh, and it, with a U two album, I probably wouldn't expect it to drop for another couple of tracks. I think normally the first four or five tracks are always pretty solid. Mm. Sometimes that carries on into you know the, the sixth, seventh track. Yeah. It's going to drop at some point, but U two very good at front-loading albums, and I, I think this deserves its place on the album. Uh, Bono sounds great. There's, there's the Just the energy's building, and I, I want to sing along to this like I've wanted to sing along to the other four. So, and great lyrics as well. Just And it, it's that quality where the, the melody of the chorus, particularly that, and the outro, you know, where he's talking about if there is a light, you know, don't let yeah. it go out. It feels like these, and I think Bono has said this a million times about songs. You know, it's about finding the song that has always been there. It sounds like a melody. You know, once you've heard it, you feel like, oh, that melody's been around forever, and it's because it's so well put together. Just going back to that, you you half did the quote there, but the the full quote is: "If there is a light that you can't always see, and there is a place you can't always be, if there is a kiss I stole from your mouth, and there is a light, don't let it go out." I like that. There's a kiss I stole from your mouth, like a kiss that you want to get back. Mm. Like, like, so, so intimate. Yeah, every I think everybody's experienced that when you kiss somebody for the first time. You're desperate to, you know, yeah. get that kiss back. And it's uncertain as to whether it's 100% going to go well or tragically, that kind of thing. Yeah, so so much vulnerability in Bono at this point, and I think I'm just really enjoying. Well, one, I'm really enjoying the fact that the music's great. 
and, yeah. and, and two, I'm enjoying the depths that I, that I can find in this album, and I continue to find in this album. Well, this is a swerve back from the... And I didn't have a problem with this, but remember in the last album we had Bonner writing from a third-person perspective, for very good reasons, because he was sick of talking about himself. But maybe he was just talking about himself in the wrong way. This is swerved back into the personal in a really deep and interesting and intimate way, as you said. So he has got scars from where he's been. He's able to mention details, you know, a face not spoiled by beauty. Quite a hard sell to say to someone you love that their face isn't spoiled by beauty. Bono in these lyrics doesn't come across as the the you know the multi-millionaire we know he is as a, you know very very privileged man comes across as vulnerable as innocent mm. as broken um and everybody can relate to that and th- therein lies the difference from you know stand up trying to incorporate a persona that mm. like he did so often on no line on the horizon iris Brackets. Hold me close. What do you think, Tyler? I I, I really like this song. Um, this is uh, it's it's a really heartfelt song about Bono's relationship with his friend Klaus. When he screams "Hold me close," he's talking about how nice it is to fall in the arms of a friend after not seeing them for yeah, a long okay. time. All right, so wind, wind this little uh, skit up. Um, it's "Hold me close." Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that well enough, but Klaus. It's... Close. It's not about Bono's German pen friend. Um, it's actually about Bono's very sad relationship with his mother, which he's returned to time and time again on songs like Mofo. Um, and I think this is the most personal he's been since Mofo about this subject. And we had, you know, on how to dismantle uh, uh, an atomic bomb slash Bob, um, a lot about Bono's relationship with his father. I think it's really good that he can return to this subject. Um, as much as I like Mofo, yeah. this may be the best interaction with the, the death of his mother. I mean, I, mean, I like possibly, yes. I like Mofo as a, as, a, as a song, you know, as, a, as an anthem, yeah. uh, but I can, I can look past the meaning, whereas you can't really do with these songs on this album. Mm. Um, it's... The idea is that death is not the end, love lives on. Very similar to, you know, if there is a light, don't let it go out. Uh, and there's no end to love. So, you know, you've got the, the themes recurring. Uh, I love the piano. There's a little bit of piano or, or keyboards in the midsection of the song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've flagged that as well. But that that stuck out on the music side of things. But what really gets me about this song is that these lyrics are actual memories of Bono and Iris, you know, together. Yeah. Like Iris standing in the hall tells me I can do it all. These are memories that Bono has had in his head since he was a little boy, mm. and he's been trying to find, maybe he's been f- trying to find a way, a song all this time to put these memories into, a song good enough to put these memories into. So this could have been in the works for a very, very long time. Well, I think it's been in the works since he formed those memories, and it's such an interesting meditation is a song on memories because it's the difficulty of coming to terms because he lost her at such a young age yeah memories are very very tricky things and the things that solidify in your mind particularly around traumatic events and people that you love dearly and miss dearly they're often not 100 percent photo realistic you know they're the things that you invest with so much significance so 
these are memories that, that Bono has carried around for a long time and you can feel that they've solidified into something that he's gone back to again and again. And it must be so hard to come back to something that for someone who is largely not a person who you interacted with on a day-to-day basis, you know, for tens and tens of years, you know, like his dad obviously was, but this is someone who exists largely as a collection of fragments. For the majority of his life. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's been the memory of her rather than her. And that's the thing that is really, like, that's defined who Bono is. You know, the ache in his heart is so much a part of who he is. It's about the fact that he's had to just get on with that process and also define himself that kind of outline of the death has helped define him but as he's turning this into positive again the darkness helps us see who we are it's almost like um the the persona of bono that okay a lot of people don't like non new two fans don't like don't yeah, like yeah, yeah. don't like the bono that's reported in the press this isn't that bono this is as real to paul Hewson as you can actually get. Yeah, I agree uh, this is, you know, This is a real song. I would, You could argue this isn't Bono at all, because this song comes from a place long before Bono even existed. Yeah. Um, so it's... I think when you, when you like you 2 on the level that we do, and I think on the level that anybody listening to this podcast will, will like you 2 You're amongst friends. You do care about the band, and yeah. you do care about Bono. Like, let's go back to Slane. When uh, not slain, sorry. Um, yeah, it is slain. Just after Wake Bob, just after, after Bob has died. Yeah, and Bono is at the end, uh, at the end, uh, screaming when it's going into streets. Yeah, and you just have all you see all that emotion just pouring out of him. Yeah, like you cur, you're in the moment of the song, but you cur that the that Bono's okay. He's not just a singer in a band. It's almost he's almost like a, a friend at that point, and you want him to be okay, and you want to carry him, and I think the crowd really do carry him yeah. at that slaying gig. And you, similar, similarly, Vertigo tour when they do sometimes you can't make. Oh yeah, own. yeah, and I think Edge actually seems the most outwardly emotionally affected by that. I always look at Edge during that performance and think because obviously he knew um, Bono's dad so well, yeah, and knows and cares so much about him. So I can't, I can't tell. Maybe it's just me. Um, I'm, I'm missing. I'm getting it wrong. But I'm sure I see like a tear or something come down Edge's eye during that song. I, I remember Edge looking at Bono, and he looks really concerned. He's yeah. like, you know, you want to make sure the singer's all right. And I'm sure Adam has said something like that before. Um, but that's what you're getting. You're not getting Bono. You're getting Paul Hewson, and you're getting a very hmm. um, intimate look and a very vulnerable, fragile. Uh, Paul Hewson in this song and so that's special and kind of unique and you can't really say that about Mofo or Tomorrow or Lemon I think you get you get little glimpses of it but I think this is I would agree that this is the most explicit and the most yeah heavily kind of detailed interaction with that subject definitely the music isn't the only thing that's stripped back on this record all personas are stripped back as well. Mm. Like Adam has taken off his cardigan and put on the leather jacket that you know he likes to put on when he's not not on stage <laughs> with you too. Well, I will say that um, if we're talking about personas and things that are kind of expected, this is arguably the most kind of traditional uh, edges sounded so far on this record with the uh, streetsy kind of city of blinding lightsy delay. That is great. I'm very happy for that to be the. Um, 
and I love the fact that Edge has got some sort of vocoder. It might be Bono, actually, but I think it's Edge has got a vocoder in the background when he's doubling the Hold Me Close bit. There's little glimpses of the inspirations that they've had musically that are coming through on this, and it contributes to an incredibly well-produced record. I, again, I'm baffled. How was this produced so well? Because usually, you know, cooks, I, I, cooks and I, broth. I just think because they could. I think if they were going to write this record and put this record out... Mm. It had to be right. So, who knows how long this was in post-production? Well, I bet it was another case of Hawkmoon for Edge of him just sitting by the, uh, you know, the. But you know, they had to get it right. They had a. They had to get it right after No Line, and b. If if this album wasn't done properly, it would have suffered because because of how genuine and sincere it is. Um, one final thing. Someone we've mentioned already has a bit of a cameo on this song. Do you know who, Tyler? Is it Licky Lee? It's not Licky Lee or Likey Lie. Jury's out, I guess, on that so far. Um, and it's not the boss. Chris? Old Chris Martin, yeah. has uh, Really? Yeah, the very start of this song, um, as far as I can tell, and I tried to confirm it today, is not in the liner notes for some reason. Um, but, you know, the start where um, there's those kind of woo bits... Again, I'm not the best person to try and talk about the actual singing, but the very start where there's all I'm that... I'm not... That's too high for me to even imitate. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's a very distinctive Martin key, which is actually... It's not something that Bono... I don't know if he's helping contribute to that, but it's a very Martin thing. So I like the fact that Chris Martin has actually been able to kind of put back into this as well. So we've got the influences of, you know, Kraftwerk, Ramones, The Clash on this album, but then Coldplay's kind of coming back in there as well. And it, it just works so well, and I think it's I think it's great. Uh, well, I've never heard that, but I'll I'll listen out for that. And um, if you know, maybe you can confirm it. Volcano. Now, this was I remember very distinctly. This was the song that I got most excited about when I first sat down and listened to this album. And just to go back to you know the whole context of the album. I think me and Tyler exchanged some frenzied texts, maybe even a call. Is it out yet? What's going on? I don't know how to work iTunes. I sent you a telegram and I never received one in reply. <laughs> I have my finest Morse code man try and get a hold of you. And I sent that pigeon. But anyway, so I tried to... I sat down when I managed to figure out my stupid iTunes and get it all to work. And um, I remember I basically sat in my bedroom and kind of closed off all communication with, with non-U2 people. And you thought, I'm going to try and listen to this album. It's so exciting. First listen. And I got through all the rest of it thinking, this is great. That Oh, that sounds interesting. That's a nice chorus. Bit of a slow song there. Oh, this reminds me a bit of Streets. Then I get to Volcano. This was a song that actually got me, oh, wow, they're doing something either new or maybe even something from a, a kind of previous sound that they're revisiting here. But this really this sounds me. like something they've done before. I don't know. It's a bit weird, really. Um, maybe it's because this section of the... I mean, I guess the whole album is, is, is looking back on childhood. There's no denying that the whole theme of the album is innocence of childhood. It's fair to say we're on the second disc of the LP here. It feels a bit like it. I mean, the, the whole tone has been switched up here. I mean, Iris and Volcano are very different sort of styles of song. And this one, to me, it maybe excited me because there was a sense of Bono sparring with his younger self here. This to me is Bono talking to that angry young man who felt like he was standing on a volcano. And 
them looking at each other and saying... Is that what it actually means? I don't think there's a definitive meaning, but that's what I take from it. And I think a, lot, a few other people have said that that seems likely. Okay, all right. Um, I, I had a slightly different take on that. Well, it'd be good to hear. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not an essentialist. I think things can mean many things. I'm just a cool kind of postmodern guy in that respect. Yep. Anyway. Well, the latter part of that is correct. <laughs> um, so, and the bit that I love, I remember hearing and thinking, that's so interesting, is when they were saying, do you live here or is this a vacation? Um, I mean, it was interesting in the way that they sung it, but also it seems to me of Bono's younger self looking back at his older self and saying, is this just a, a mess around for you? Are you just like, are you actually present in this band? Do That's you live here? Exactly what I think this song is about. Oh, take it, Tyler. Um, like the the line, "Do you live here, or, or is this a vacation?" It's like a younger version of of Bono singing to the older version of Bono. Is like you like you you just been allowed a snapshot of the future. Mm. Maybe maybe like if you if you just shown a sixteen year old Bono, it's a snapshot of them headlining Glastonbury. Mm. Or you know, or playing on stage with Bruce Springsteen, or, or, or just a little snapshot. Just what would that sixteen-year-old kid say to a fifty-five-year-old Bono? Mm. And that's such an interesting like mindset when you start to think of this song in that way. And then the advice um, from the older version to the younger version of something in you has to blow. Mm. Like think of everything the band have sacrificed. Uh, relationships, uh, marriages, religion in a way, lost parents, religion. You know everything yeah. that over the course of, well, this is episode fourteen. So for everything we talked about, we've always said you know they had to leave this bit, bit behind. Remember in when we were discussing how they had to leave, they they found something they really enjoyed doing with Rattling Home. Mm. They really enjoyed that kind of music, but they were lynched for it effectively yeah and people really got sick of them so they had to sacrifice the type of music they wanted to yeah, do they had to make to a continue massive, to write music yeah massive leap of faith um so you know that line something in you has to blow for this volcano of success this eruption of success to be achieved hmm. you have to sacrifice probably more than you want to sacrifice and I think I think that's it's it's a, one of the most interesting songs in that regard on, yeah. on the album. I think all that energy is really captured in in the song here as well. Um, and there is a, there's a, a great angsty energy here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A rebellious energy. And that's I mean that's brought through that's brought through everything. Edge has got all these like kind of chippy little guitar kind of licks here, um, and then there's sort of the swagger that comes with you know the hand clapping kind of section. And the liner notes this album amuse me no end because, I mean, as far as you can be amused by such things. Um, because are, you, uh, are you still reading the phone book? <laughs> I'm halfway through and it's getting good. Um, there's a bit where it says on the liner notes, additional hand claps by so-and-so. And it's like, come on. Like Lennon, <laughs> Lennon and McCartney were a bit... Well, I think it was... Was it Macca who was basically arguing about, no, it needs to be McCartney and Lennon, not Lennon and McCartney on that song, so I did more of the work. Anyway... That's... I, I don't know. Well, what Angela Lansbury does in her spare time <laughs> is up to Angela Lansbury. But I just think, yeah, I'd love to, you know, additional hand claps supplied by me. But I think, and I think that's what it is. I think, yeah, fair um, enough. They're too big to not be 
part of that. I like to imagine Chris Martin looking through the liner notes and finding that his name isn't there. Oh, well, I think I'm might... being really annoyed at that. But I think he might have requested not to be on it. This Come is gonna, on. This is gonna be well. This is gonna be so annoying if I'm not right about this as well. Um, guess who wrote the bass riff for this? Would it be Adam Clayton? It wasn't Adam. It was Edge. <sighs> Which... that, that annoys me. Yeah, I know. I knew that would annoy you. So uh, one nil to the Edge enthusiast here. Um, I, like Adam must get so annoyed. He's like, like his his job title in U two is bassist. Mm. So what is the Edge doing? Writing really good bass riffs. It is a it is a really good bass bass riff, but come on, give give Adam something to do. Well, yeah, there's a riff, Adam. Um, best book up your ideas or I'll write some more. That great idea riffs. of Bono and the Edge doing everything in U two while Adam and Larry play swing ball it is only reinforced by such actions from the Edge. I I just I can't care if it results in if it results in that good of a baseline. Um, uh, one thing I really like about the song is that the it's quite easy for you two to get lost in an epic production sound whilst not really conveying much weight. It's a bit like CGI. It looks big and impressive, but there's no weight to it. It's just kind of rubbish, like Transformers. When when they brought the the song out, they played a lot of the songs, probably more of this album than any other album. Yeah. On on live shows. Uh, on, Jules Holland. Uh, uh, yeah, Jules Holland, for example. Uh, Graham Norton was yep. another one. That's over in the UK. Uh, in in the US, they were they're on uh, Jimmy Fallon. Is it Fallon or is it the other one? No, Letterman. No, uh, there's Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon. And I think it's Fallon. I'm on about. Well, uh, but I always confuse the two. But there's yeah. I, anyway. If you go on YouTube and just type in U2 2014 uh, live, you'll get a lot of relatively raw recordings and studio recordings of of these songs the problem is with volcano it is a raw track and it sounds very raw on the studio but i think it was just on um jules holland, jules holland this song really came off in quite a rough way and bono seemed to be struggling I think it would have. I know what you're saying, although I really enjoyed that performance, mainly because of the rawness. I think it maybe needed not lots of extra production and keyboards and things. <clears throat> Bono seemed at the top of his register. Yeah. And, and, and I know that when you play things live for the first time, you can just get a key wrong. You know, it, it can be. It's not quite where it needs to be. Mm. Um, also, nerves. He'd not played this song live before, really. And it, and to it was lots a one time performance. Yeah. Uh, it's not like this was a lead single. This is just something special for Jules Holland. It's yeah. a huge program over here and really well respected. Yeah. And amazing that they played that to be fair. Yeah, but I think they were just trying to get back to the the, the kind of the the roots, really. I think they wanted to be seen, to be in in the music scene. Yeah. Um. But I guess the 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 point I'm sort of circuitously getting around to is that take a song. I, I don't want to keep hating on the same songs. I'll try and think of a different one. I was thinking of Moment Surrender again. Um, I will say that anyway, because a song like that has so much huge production thrown at it, and particularly at the, en- the end of that song. But it, to me, it doesn't convey much weight at all. Whereas Volcano, I think they purposely said, let's not go huge on this. It doesn't need to be as big in terms of scope as something like Iris. Let's keep this in that tense little box that Bono existed in when he was a younger self, you know, when he felt that he had to blow. And he had plenty of stuff to be angry about, you know. And I think that that is a decision that works well here. 
Just like the Edges bass riff. I think it's a, I think it's a really good song, and like "Song for Someone," this is a song that is uh, two and a half years later is still growing on me, and still yeah, it's still getting better. Um, and that is a huge compliment yeah. for for a U two song, uh, because I obviously like them a lot when I start listening to them the first time. Uh, but Volcano continues to get better for me. I'm so glad we're at this stage, you know, kind of a few years on from the album. Well, two years on. Yeah. Um, and we've not got sick of it because... I'm it... still waiting for the day where I put on No Line and like it. And I want that day to come. Hmm. I want to find my peace with that album. But I've not got that yet. And we're near enough... Uh, how many years? Eight years on? Well, yeah, I don't think that day is going to come. I mean, I think... I have the opposite thing of I convinced myself for a long time that it was a really good album and now I think it's actually half of a brilliant album and half of a terrible album. So I know I've got no illusions about that and I've kind of made my piece. I know what I think of Null on the Horizon. But when I, like, I, other albums that I didn't get on board with straight away were um, October, Acton Baby and Zuropa, mm. um, which I love all three of those now. Yeah. And they're all very different and they're very individual albums, but I, I now do really like and cherish listening to those albums. Mm. So I am still waiting for the day that No Line, me, you know, I can find some peace and find something I, I, I like about No Line. But I'm not there yet. Track seven, Raised by Wolves. Now, obviously there is a very specific bit of political content, or rather context, surrounding this song um, to do with some tragic bombings that occurred. See, as soon as I start talking about this kind of thing, the word tragic annoys me now because tragic sounds like it was ill-fated and the stars were crossed and it had to happen. Um, it was about a despicable act of violence which was occurred, um, which occurred, um, in which 33 people were killed, and Bono very narrowly avoided being involved in that particular act of violence on that day because it occurred. Near it was a record shop, wasn't it? No, nearby. It was a it was a bombing that occurred in a place where Bono frequented quite a lot. And this song is Bono trying on the persona of his friend Andy Rowan, um, the brother of Bono's very long-standing um, friend Googie, and, and the brother of Peter Rowan. Yes, um, and this, as was cemented on the song "Bad." This act had um, a really, really bad effect on Andy Rowan and it would lead him to problems with heroin. So we've kind of covered this subject on on Bad, on our um, Unforgettable Fire review. And we don't we don't normally dwell on, the, on politics um, explicitly, but it's kind of unavoidable on this song. This does speak to a more general placing of the album in a particularly violent political context. And obviously, Raised by Wolves can then apply to lots and lots of other people. So it's not just Belfast, you know. It's not just Ireland. It's it's a song which speaks to people in a, in contexts, you know, where you are being raised in a culture of violence. So it could, in some way, it could apply to, you know, it could apply to people growing up in particular terrorist sets um, anywhere across the world or violent places anywhere in the world. But it's a great song, in my opinion. Well, on on one of the previous tracks, which track was it? California with um, um, the sibilance. Oh no, that was uh, 
Well, I hear on the Miracle, the very first track, the oh, right. sound. Okay. Right. My problem with this is... Oh, can I guess? Go on. Is it in the actual chorus where he says Raised by Wolves? Yes. Yeah. It's the... Um... Oh, no, it's not. It's not uh, Raised by Wolves. It's um... it's when he says, I don't believe, the auto-tune on Bono's voice. Uh, spoiler alert, Bono uses auto-tune. Really? Uh Yes. Um, I honestly didn't. I didn't know you use autotune on this. I think every singer in the world now, with a professional setup, uses autotune. Okay. Uh, for those people that don't know, autotune is um, just a little plug-in, little effect that. Um, it's a corrector, isn't it? It, it? Yeah, it corrects the note you're singing just in case you waver. Um, it will protect you and. It's that it's that kind of thing, um, but if it, sometimes I I've only used like a really low, you know, a, a low end version of of these auto tunes, but sometimes the auto tune goes crazy, um, and and you can't help this. It just it just happens sometimes. Mm. Or it, uh, it will just take your voice like <laughs> like that, and on when when Bono sings. Uh, I don't believe the believe shakes really uncomfortably, and I suppose it's one of those things. That if you didn't know what it was, you wouldn't recognize it. Well, I didn't recognize it. But when you've sang into with the aid of a, an auto tuner, mm. and you've heard it go wrong, then then you become aware of it. And so I'm, I'm probably ruining this song for a lot of people by by saying this. But when he sings believe, it's really distracting for me. And it's pretty much the only thing I, I end up focusing on. I, 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 playing it back in my head, I can't really hear the wavering, but I will definitely listen out for that. Yeah, um, Yeah. well, that's interesting and obviously something that you're going to notice, just as probably no one really pays attention to that hard S kind of sound. Um, and maybe I've just got too much travel on my stereo, but I don't think that's true. Um, I know it's not a stereo issue because I've listened to various formats uh, you know various pieces mm. of kit, and it's always the same. Always annoys me, um, and it does it, it. It detracts from the stock the song. But I, I'm going to try and move on with the review. Um, that's another thing. I've just looked at my notes, and it's repeated so often throughout the song that it you can't get away from it. It's just terrible, um, and a really bad oversight for it for a well produced album. Mm. Um, I always find that as a massive highlight on the album, though the, that that melody, that that part there, just the do 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 do, like it's so good. I, I and I've tried to think myself out of this criticism. I've tried to think, well, maybe they intended it to be in there, but I can't think why. I think they've had a a, a good few goes at doing the the vocal takes on this track because it is a, I mean. Props oh, to Bono it, for trying, but it's right at the top of Bono's register when he's singing that belief. Yeah, but also no, but Raised by Wolves, the when, he, when he's singing that bit, that feels like he's really pushing hard yeah. to get that bit out, and that's why I thought you meant it would be that bit because that always strikes me as sounding a little bit. I think you can just tell they've not done that on the first try. That's been a long time for Bono to get up there. Uh, if I have just ruined this song for you, then I'm really, really sorry because. Um, if you do notice this, then you will never ever be able to listen to this song ever again and, and enjoy it. Um, so I, I do apologise, but I have to. I, I need somebody else to, to tell me they agree because it's that annoying. Um, but you two are coming out of the comfort zone with this 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 track. It's it's a harder rock 
style. Um, it's a lot of energy. It's good to hear. Um, and it, 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 the, the downside is it doesn't have a huge positive impact on me. It, it's not a song that I would go back to. It's not a huge dip, but it's it, it's forgettable for me. Ooh, I don't know if it's forgettable. I mean, not for. I mean, obviously, if you find it forgettable, that's fine. But um, I, this was another song that really made my ears kind of you know prick up when I listened to this the first time because, I mean, just the start where you've got those. Um, it's almost like a sound of someone catching the breath, but it's almost you know like it, in a movie you cut away from that, so it's just a, like really you know almost like you cut into someone running puts a load of tension in that and it's just it sounds like a song that you two haven't really done this kind of thing structurally before it's it's just it's kind of an odd song so it's and it's got edge it doesn't really have much of a kind of overbearing delayed guitar until the that he holds that back to the second verses and then you've got the big big chorus I just don't know if they worked on this song as much as they worked on everything else. I I imagine they did because I, I get the feeling that they did. I mean, and I think that the I, I, because all of the decisions uh, to me are really well made. So mm. having the piano come back in with the you know dun 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 you know just quite simple keys, but I think they really thought of what needs to go here rather than having you know some elaborate kind of you know. Um, two-minute section where they're doing something really wacky and and kind of superfluous but i mean do you get a sense of the kind of the the, the passion in this song and the and the kind of oh yeah like you know bono's right up there and as i say that you know i i just want to say about the auto tune if i might explain it very well imagine some stabilizers on a bike um they kind of stop you from falling off the note so that's the probably the best way to it stabilizes how the note you're singing. Well, he could have done with them when he was in Central Park. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's passion in the. There's a lot of energy. I just think there's better there's better songs on the album. It's not bad. It's not terrible. I don't turn it off. Mm. I enjoy it. I've been listening to this album a lot in the gym over the last few weeks, and it's really good. It's a really good running track. Yeah. Um, so I I have to, I do have praise for this song, but when I really listen to it, really it annoys me. How about the lyrics as well? Um, because I, I think I'm not trying to make you say, "Oh yeah, this is like the best song on the album" at all. It's definitely not my favorite song on the album. Yeah. But I think when you're going back, I think the lyrics are really good when he's talking about the fact that you know he's, he's the the person in this. I mean, I guess it is from the perspective of Andy Rowan. He's getting tattoos done. He's falling into a traumatic reaction to a horrific event. You know, and he takes a look and he's, he's sorry he did. I mean. I just th- I tried to think about this today. What the hell must that look like? You know, thirty three people. Mm. It's something that is. I mean, you can go back, but I mean, to be frank, I was a kid growing up in an age where there was a lot of news. You know, there would be a lot of news on telly, and obviously they're not going to show horrific images. So what you get is a, a shaky cam. You know, maybe an explosion, maybe some some rubble and but some they smoke. They do show it sometimes. They do sometimes do show you know the bodies lying on the floor. But I think my problem with that is you become desensitized to it. Well, that's true. And yeah. there's nothing actually, um, because the way it's presented, there's no difference between watching a news report with dead bodies on the floor and watching a film. There's, there's no there's no difference. But if you're actually there, yeah, that's the difference. Um, and it's one—I suppose—it's one of those things you just can't fake. You you can't actually make someone feel 
like they're going to feel when and, and why would you want to make someone feel like that mm. uh you can't make someone feel that way you have you have to see it yeah. so maybe it's impossible for us to mm. uh, fully appreciate the imagery in this song true and i think just to kind of close off this whole thing i mean they're reflecting on the 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 youth they're reflecting on a period where they were innocent but just like songs of innocence the blake collection isn't wholly innocent you know it's not like oh it's all happy clappy and then we get into the the darkness there's darkness in this album so much and i think you two have they've actually done something quite impressive here they've managed to go back to the subjects like sunday buddy sunday and you know they explored early on well here's an idea go on right just a, a theory that i'm coming up with right on the spot the first um few tracks so that was the miracle every breaking wave california song for someone and iris that's the innocence part of this record mm-hmm. then volcano something in you has to blow you got to give a lot of your innocence up uh and then in the latter part of the song so uh, raised by wolves and the, the, the tracks we're going to review next yeah. there is a social awareness to violence and more mature themes yeah um so there's a story within the album uh and I, and I think that's you know that's what you're dealing with you're dealing with that loss of innocence and the the new experiences of what the world is really like yeah because if you if you want the first part of this record can really be seen as a bit of a furry tale yeah the visiting... a tragic furry tale but a, a furry tale nonetheless well they're visiting yeah they're visiting America they're getting galvanized by the Ramones they're experiencing romantic love. And then, yeah, there's obviously the, the kind of the home tragedy for Bono and Iris. But yeah, the, and the rest of this does become a lot more tense in a in a kind of social context. Yeah. So, no, no, I think I think there's a definite arc there to the album. It's definitely not a concept record. Thank God it isn't. And the, and Raised by Wolves does help progress that idea. Yeah. So it ha- clearly has its place on the album. Yeah. I just have a, a bugbear with, with the production on it. No, fair enough. Um, I just think last statement on this and on, on the whole subject of how they deal with you know the troubles and lots of other acts of political violence you two have actually managed to you know pull off something here which is which is deep which is rich which is sympathetic which is not you know overtly on one particular side of a, of a really complex and difficult political situation that in itself they deserve props for that because Imagine what a field day people would have had. Not only have you two jammed this, um, you know, in the, in some people's eyes, jammed this album into their lives, but they've they've just walked over something, um, you know, that's incredibly sensitive. So I just think that needs to be said. Yeah. Um, me and Johnny, we can't experience everything. We don't know, you know, everything about every record. Um, but if you are a U2, oh, sorry, a review to Anorak out there and you'd like to get in touch or comment, um, on any of the things we've said then you can contact us on facebook.com forward slash review to to you soundcloud.com forward slash review to or on itunes go to the review to podcast or if you're one of those rebel type guys then email us at review to contact at gmail.com <laughs> okay so track eight Cedarwood Road, and I think I'm about to get hounded by Anorak's 
Uh, I have said this for a very long time. This, for me, is the weak link on the album. Uh, um, it seems too close to No Line on the Horizon. It reminds me of No Line on the Horizon, which is not a good thing. Um, um, and I think the problem is it's Bono's melody. It doesn't seem like it fits. Um, it's like there's, there's too many lyrics trying to be crammed into too short a, a space or, or too little music. Um, but on, on a positive note, they gave it a lot more energy live. But this this song is the... Um, PHC... Um... Ugly Duckling. Yeah, it's the Ugly Duckling on the album. It's not bad, it's not terrible, and it's nowhere near as bad as anything on No Line on the Horizon. But it um, it just it just uh, always sticks out in my mind as uh, that, that particular problem with the melody where it just doesn't seem to quite fit. There's the music and then there's, the, then there's the, what Bono was singing and the, they seem separate to me. Okay, well I had some initial misgivings about this song when I first heard it. And I don't think this is a, a case of me just explaining things away, you know, to myself, as we kind of mentioned before. I feel like the things that I was always a bit worried about, like that um, that move down from the main riff, which is incredible. It's one of the best things Edge has ever recorded in terms of guitar sound. It sounds so good when he brings that acoustic in and they're both working together with the distorted. I think it's some sort of like hollow body guitar that he's using as well. It sounds so good. Anyway, when he uses the do 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 do, I think a lot of people hate that because it's as Edge has said himself. Have you heard the song? It's, shut up! It's when <laughs> right, Edge has said himself that is a kind of get out because he reaches the end of that riff, the jung jung jung, and he doesn't know where to go, so he just does a sort of like walk it down the road, let's play a blues song type thing. What's that podcast where Edge talks about the song? I was going to raise this. Um, it's called Song Exploder, where the whole band talk about it. And it's fascinating. I cannot recommend Song Exploder, that podcast, highly enough. Um, but you can hear snippets as well of earlier versions of the song when it actually had more of a industrial-style drum beat, perhaps, and definitely a lot more synth in it as well. Um, I like the, the bit I do like about this song is that... Yeah, the main riff. Like yeah. the, the main riff is incredible. And it's I can tell Edge sweated over that that... Not the riff, because the riff is pretty um, pretty simple. It's great, but it's like a lot of Edge's riffs, it's simple. But the recording of it, I can tell he was like, no, it won't quite work if I do it on an SG, and I can't just have it with one guitar, so maybe I'll use this guitar, twin it with an acoustic. And anyway, the things that I, I had a problem with are things that I think actually work really well in the song. So the fact that there's the acoustic and there's that big riff, which is almost kind of westerny styling you know dung, 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 dung. it sounds almost a bit sort of western and the fact that bono he does that transition and then bono says walking down the road which is a cliche in itself um to begin a song with i was walking down the road those are the things that i think work well for this song because it's a song about bono looking back nostalgically to this time and all those things to me sing of nostalgia does that make any sense it does yeah but I'm not saying that means that it's a more enjoyable listen, but I, I love this song. I think it's so good. And it was the very first song I remember. Because when, uh, when a new U2 album comes out, I always get very excited and reach for my guitar and try and fail to play the songs. But I remember sending you a little really short you know, voice memo kind of of me playing um, Cedarwood Road. You know, just you record it on your phone in terrible quality. Yeah. Because I thought that you were as excited about this song as me. 
but probably not. I don't I don't remember it, so evidently it couldn't, not. Couldn't have been that um, exciting. Um, I, I think this song is brilliant, and it's got all that nostalgic kind of, you know, thinking about the, the cherry blossom tree that he used to climb. I think it was with Googie. I'm not sure about that, but I think it was. And about, you know, becoming friends with someone and that enduring friendship carrying on. And then in the montage section of this, you know, kind of later on after Edge's big solo, you've got so many things being thrown into this, you know, symbols crashing, Bible smashing, fear is the only place we can call our home. So it's at once sweet and also really dark. Or own. I, I thought the lyric was, fear is the only place we can call our own. Well, this might be another case of me mishearing something, and that's very likely. But, I mean, I think that that lyric, fear is, fear is the only place that we can call our home, would work. Isn't it amazing that through 14 <laughs> reviews, not once have we had an album handbook with us? Um, yeah. When they're just two rooms away and not once have we thought to actually check what's printed in the handbook but you don't listen to you don't like listen and form a bond with a song by I, I guess you do in a bit of a way but you, the majority of the time you're not sat there with the, the book and the song connects with you on an emotional level and for better or for worse that's the song you know yeah. see will die and live again I will see will die and live again that's what I hear Um. so I don't know, I think I've probably gushed quite a lot about this. Um, you know, it's okay to disagree. Um, it's not a te- it's not a terrible song. Um, it's just, it's not one that, I've, that has ever appealed to me, really. Well, I think it's got a, it's got a really good build. I mean, so, do you feel that kind of climactic section, you know, later on when you've got the solo and, you know, Bono is building up to that whole kind of Bible smashing symbols crashing kind of bit uh it, it's okay but I, i'm not amazed by it see to me that is a, a real highlight from the past kind of 10 years of you two it's such a highlight and there's a bit the the bit at the end where bono says and i'll, I'll stop gushing now but he says a heart that is broken is a heart that is open now that's the kind of line that bono could very well have put into um say crazy tonight where he's got to be honest quite a lot of what I would regard as platitudes, mm. um, even though I do quite like that song. Um, but he's what they've done is they've earned the right to sing that kind of line because of all the emotional weight that's covered in the start of that song. So when he gets to that, it's completely earned and you can actually just give in to how good it is and how big of a statement it is. Yeah, I, lo- I love this song. Well, I think everybody can tell, um, but I'm more than happy to move on because... <laughs> Uh, If you carry on, I'm going to be sleeping like a baby tonight. (laughs) Okay, so the next track, here we go with Sleep Like a Baby Tonight. Johnny, what are your thoughts? This is a real highlight of the album for me um, because it sounds like you two are trying something new. But they're also alluding to the heritage again. So we had an allusion to the Ramones before, we've now got... You're looking at me like I've said something odd. Okay. Um, we had an illusion... You're just odd. <laughs> well, that's true, obviously. Um, so, 
said this sentence three times now. <laughs> we had the losing to Jeroboam before. Later on, we're going to get a bit more of a tribute to a different band in a more similar vein. But this is where, apart from Invisible, they're making the most clear references to Kraftwerk. Although I guess Neon Knights is the most blatant thing where they say, hey guys, we love Kraftwerk. <laughs> um, this sounds like uh, the Hall of Mirrors, um, or at least the, the keyboard to this sounds quite similar to the Kraftwerk song, uh, The Hall of Mirrors. Check it out. It's a really good song off a great album. Um, and this is not a case of them ripping something off. It's just a, a case of them using a piece of their past to generate something new and interesting. Well, when I listened to this song, I wanted to rip something off, and I'm afraid it was my clothes. Uh, so for the rest of this review, it might be time to put the kids to bed. Um, what the hell are you talking about? I find this song really sexy. It, like, it's... Oh, God, Tyler, you don't know how wrong this is going to be. <laughs> Why? Just wait, and I'll talk to you in a bit about this. <laughs> no, no, carry on with the review. I'll just. Are we going to do that on Earth, or not? Uh, yeah, because I think the only way you're going to come out well from this is... <laughs> To be in a state of innocence. Right, okay. Um, no, I. Um, it reminds me of Nine Inch Nails a little bit. Yeah. Uh, quite an industrial start. Bono using that the falsetto really works. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's a good song and one of the most replayable songs on the album. It sounds completely different to everything else. Um, and I like that it's hidden at the back of the album and it's a bit of a hidden gem. Um, it keeps going and it, keep, it keeps changing it, but it's just got that beautiful sexiness. Uh, it's kind of a dirty quality all the way through it. Yeah. Mm. If, this, if this is about babies, then I'm gonna be. You don't know how wrong and right you are, but carry right, on. Right. Okay. But like the image I got, this song puts in my head is kind of like in a, a seedy strip club, kind of kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted to know what other people had thought about this this song um so i went to u2interference.com good website yeah uh, good community on there and um i'm gonna quote uh, what, what a user on the called a man's man oh, oh a man's a man his name is uh great name <laughs> and he says sleep like a baby tonight drags me to hell but in a positive way, and I kind of know what he means. I mean, he has that down and out, um, down and out quality, um, and it's just, yeah, it's just really kind of hangovery and okay. late night. <laughs> it's great. Right. Well, do, do you, shall I shall I put you out of your misery now? Uh, yes. And just while just our uh, Operation U Tree about to arrest me. Uh, they, well, no, I think you're in the clear, um, but some other people certainly aren't. Now, this song to me, and I think it's pretty much undeniable, although obviously a song can be about, you know, it can have many different interpretations. It can be about anything, but it can be about many things to many people. Um, this to me is a song about paedophilia in relation to the church specifically. Really? Yes. So you have the purple robes being folded, and Bono pretty much says this at the um, at, in the liner notes of um, of the album. He says um, he's talking about the fact that when the children of any church aren't served, but instead enslaved by an abuse of power, extraordinary acts of atonement are required to put things back together. Honesty is just a starting point. And what he's alluding to there is the fact that this was a. I mean, if you don't know, this was such a 
in massively endemic problem within the Catholic Church and and other churches, but particularly in Ireland, where the church is respected as such a pillar of the community, th- that respect was turned back against the people who they were meant to protect by the fact that people were abused and had to be quiet about it because no one could say anything about a priest because priests were so powerful. So the song, and I think I think Bono has said this, is about the fact that you have you have this priest who has committed these kind of acts and yet he is able to sleep like a baby tonight while other victims are basically scarred by this so that's where you get the fact that where the church is where the war is and that's why bono goes for me that's why bono goes into that really high almost uncomfortably high falsetto because he is basically mimicking the innocence of a choir boy there and that's why i think even though his voice kind of breaks and he doesn't do it perfectly it sort of works for that and that's why you have that seedy horrific side but i know what you mean because it is it is a song which has so a lot of beauty in there and then a lot of seediness seedy, yeah that the seediness and... well right at the end you've got edge's voice going like Ow! sorry edge's guitar you know doing that like kind of like seedy kind of like those written i don't know how to explain it it's really really great in terms of guitar tone but then you have all the almost Christmassy sounding like bling, you know, kind of like little um, yeah. bits on there. So I think it is a song that is meant to be jarring and uncomfortable and have different elements in it. It does have a kind of sexy swagger when it comes in. But to me, this is, yeah, it's it's, it's Bono. Again, I think they've, they took a lot of chance on this album. They're not singing about she's a rainbow and she loves a peaceful life here. You know, this is them really getting into, you know, proper complex issues here and i think they do that really well and um i think it's something that arguably you two given the fact they don't flinch away from an argument you know and they don't flinch away from getting involved in political issues the hypocrisy of of certain members of of the church um needed to be talked about and i think they do it really well here and that's why but i guess that imagery can pass you by because they're talking about toast and tea and sugar at the start of this song and I think that's meant to be, meant to be talking about the fact that priests are they aren't supermen. They aren't these, you know, kind of divine people who who are, you know, given carte blanche to do what they want by the word of God. They eat toast and tea and sugar. They sit at the kitchen table with red eyes and they've committed some of them horrific acts, you know. So and there, there must also... be a, an, an internal struggle with that as well. well uh, when you've taken like vows of celibacy and you know, try to be, you know, be a pillar of the community and she'll be leaving a, a sinless life. But, you know, ultimately can't help your urges or, or whatever, you know. Not to to show, try and show any sympathy. Well, you see how difficult this issue is to get into, um, really. But it... Yeah, there's, I suppose there's a human being, you know, behind the... Well, that's why I think a tricky it's, thing. That's why it's such a, an interesting chorus, because he's saying you're going to sleep like a baby tonight. So... If, if that's meant to refer to the priest, maybe this is someone who isn't bothered by the kind of transgressions they've, they've you know, kind of committed. Or it's just that in contrast to the victims of abuse who are never able to sleep, you know, in that in that kind of vulnerable, innocent kind of sleep anymore. Um, but yeah, fascinating song to get into. And Well, as a, man's, a man said, this song drags you to hell. Maybe not in a positive way, but it drags you to hell. You're the... It's it is a good song though. It, it, oh, it's a brilliant song. In terms song. of music, uh, yeah, this this is a, a a good a good song. 
Oh, by the way, Johnny, did I tell you that I'd moved? No, 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 you haven't mentioned it. All right, I'll give you my new address later, um, but that's where you can reach me now. Ah, oh, dear. Do you know, I'd thought about a stupid little skit as well, and I was thinking... Oh, I don't, I don't, no, what, not... what was yours? Let's see. No. The, the listeners can decide which skit was better. I was going to talk about some sort of, like, animate bag of sugar who'd moved down to a lower shelf near the tea. <laughs> I like that. I like that's where your mind went. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Right. So here we go with this is where you can't reach me now, and you can reach me now. This is where you can reach me now. Yeah, that's right. I always want it to be where you can't reach me now. Um, but I. This is the penultimate track that we're going to review tonight. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say this. I think this should have been one of the singles. Interesting. Um, and I've only come to that conclusion recently, where I've really been, you know, listening to this this track again, mainly in the gym. But I just think it's a it's a good song and a song that you two, you two wouldn't normally put out, um, but yeah. a song that could be commercially successful. I think it has a a good pop sensibility about it. Um, Adam plays his little socks off on on this track. Um, completely agree. I, he, it's just, I mean, he's been good for it throughout the album, whether he wrote the lines or or or, uh, or Edge did, but just really, really good. Uh, and once again, the unity in the band is incredible. They all know and like what they're doing, and that is evident when you listen to. And it. they lock in together just because I've got such similar notes here. First thing, Adam and Larry are on incredible form, and they lock in straight together. So you you do notice it when they're yeah. when they're locked in. I think me and you, um, we don't hang around all the time because we, you know, we live in in different cities. But like, we basically get together to do these podcasts. Yeah. But we do surround ourselves with people that like music. Yep. Um, ind- independent of each other. Um, and together, but yeah. And obviously, in those groups, there are a lot of people who just do not like you two. Yeah, as um, there always will be, and will always ask us, you know. Why? Why do we like them? What is it about them? And I think uh, this is where you can reach me now. Is a song that from now on I will play to people. Mm. To like, this is the U two you don't hear unless you listen to the you know unless you listen to the albums. Yeah. This this is the kind of song that they don't have the courage to release because they, they, there is a perception about U two. Um, but what that perception often does is just feed into the negative perceptions. Um. Uh, and so I think this song is a song that, if you listeners have got people in your lives who really question why you like you two, I think this is a really, really good song to show people, because it's the kind of thing that, that uh, people don't expect you two to do, and it's just it just sounds really good. Mm. It's so unexpected, even for a, a big U2 fan like myself. I'm still surprised at how good this song is and how different it sounds to a, a normal U2 song. Um, it's got that haunting, spooky element. It kind of reminds you of all those Halloweeny type themes, seventies um, sci-fi kind of sound throughout it. Well, that sound always reminds me weirdly of um, you know Ghost Town, the Gervais thing. No, not the, not the Ricky Gervais film. The you know this town gonna be a ghost town. That song. No. Okay, well I'll play it you later on then. And then we'll watch that Ricky Gervais film after that. 
Um, well, well, we. Uh, I don't actually have the the Gervais film. I lent it from a friend, and he's been looking for it for four years. But I uh, accidentally traded it in because I thought it was mine. Accidentally. Uh, so like. He's just found out that I traded it in. Um, to be fair, he's not missing much, is and it? And it's a um, it's a point of contention between us right now. Um, but um, I think this could have been a hit. I think this song could have been a, a really big hit for you two. Well, I think it, it. I personally wouldn't have done it as a single, but I get your logic behind it's. It's not something they would normally do, and I would show this particularly to friends who like the Clash because this is the most obvious tribute that you two have made musically to the clash now that's not to say this is you two doing a clash style song again the miracle is not you two doing a ramones song you know it's very different california is probably the very closest they get on this album to doing something as simple in song structure as a ramones song and this it just has hints it has the seagulls at the start very very faintly you can hear those yeah that um baseline is it could have been written by um Paul Simonon from The Clash, but it, it it's its own thing, and certainly by the time we get to that middle bit where um you know where they're saying you know the the breakdown bit where the chanting kind of begins, it's it, it's their own song. It's not just a oh here's you two doing The Clash, you know. Um, it's interesting you say that because I think throughout this review to journey from Innocence to Experience, The Clash is the band that I found myself getting into oh good most um uh, a song i've listened to the last couple of weeks was the supermarket one lost in the supermarket lost in the supermarket yeah brilliant song. um and just the, the real good rhythm in that kind of calm but just just really interesting to listen to so uh maybe that's why this song has resonated with me so yeah. so much but i hadn't made that connection because obviously i i i'm not as well versed in the clash as, as you are, um, but what's this thing? What is this song about? Well, that's what I was going to come on to. Um, we we brought up the fact that there is kind of an arc to this album um, from an early celebration and energy, and I guess this is where maybe because I don't think this song is it's brilliant, but it's in it's jubilant. You know, it it captures a feeling more than delivers a message. To be honest, I think this captures what it was like to see The Clash, who Bono talks about it in the liner notes to the album, about sneaking in and seeing The Clash and being, you know, incredibly... Um, actually, I think it was Ramones they snuck into, but they saw The Clash early on and were so impressed by them. It's about that feeling of, you know, you can you can just do something different to what your parents' culture was. Yeah. You, can, you, can, you can do something entirely new, you know. Um, it's about, about making use of inspiration and other people's music you know he's talking about um we've come to colonize your night and steal your poetry and then he's also you know old man says we never listen so how can you hear a word i say it's about well maybe the culture's changed too much you've misheard that for god's sake go on because uh it's an old man says it says that you never listen so how can we have something to say okay well i was skipping over the the line a bit too quickly but no you got it blatantly wrong (laughs) don't don't uh come out with that um, but interesting <laughs> lyrics, anyway. You know the the, gener- the battle between generations. But should it be earlier in the album then, if it's going to capture that feeling? I am I'm, I'm really glad that it's where it is, because I think it could have got lost um, against hmm. uh, the miracle. 
uh, and every breaking wave just being the standout track that it is yeah kind of your focus is on every breaking wave in those first three songs uh, as good as California and the miracle are every breaking wave is the star of those three songs yeah and you can't deny that yeah. um so it's good that it's right at the back and sleep like a baby night is just like uh, sleep like a baby tonight is just kind of you know, it's a it's a breather before you get into this. But I think they're both. I I like the song being here. So I was. I mean, we were kind of having a little bit of a thought experiment. Maybe it should be. I actually think it should be at, at this position at the back of the album mm. because it has a real nighttime feel to it, almost sort of disco-y. And and it m- wouldn't help you too to release a song from the back of the album. No, no. So I think this works well with um, "Sleep Like a Baby Tonight." They're both night you know kind of dark um songs in their own different yeah. ways and i just i love the fact that they have something musically this fresh by the end of the album this is a place in previous albums like bomb like to be honest all you can't all you can't leave behind and you know definitely um no line where they've just put on filler at the end of the album you know it's just sort of like oh, the album's winding at down which point of no line didn't they put any filler on uh no line in the horizon itself magnificent um, I really like no, Cedars right. of Lebanon. No, like, come on. When Fez you, being no, born's No, good. no, right. <laughs> when you talk about that album, and then you compare it to this album, even thing, even songs like Magnificent and uh, Crazy Tonight, they just pale so badly in comparison. Well, I agree, it's a different level here, but I think there are... <laughs> it, no Line on the Horizon is half a good album. I will take that to my grave. I, I I just I, I I struggle to even agree agree with that. And the problem is, and the reason, listeners, that we continue to talk about No Line on the Horizon is this album it, uh, had the shadow of No Line. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Like even five years later, it was that that is what it was compared to, and thank God it was so good. But do you know what we're sounding what we're sounding like here? We're sounding exactly the same way that. Certainly, I did, and I think you did as well. When we got got to rattle and hum, when we were saying, "Oh, they need to change this up a bit," we were having certain redeeming factors like Heartland, like uh, Angel of Harlem, and when Love Comes to Town. But you just, I could feel it as we were recording, being like, oh, "They need to change this," you know. And that's so. Maybe they needed No Line on the Horizon. Maybe they needed Get on Your Boots. Okay, so the final track on the album, or at least the final track we're going to be reviewing for this album, is The Troubles featuring Licky Lee. Likey Lie. Well, yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't really, it's not worth quibbling over. We're back to David Bowie slash Bowie here. Um, it's not worth quibbling over, but she is an excellent, I mean, I can't even say the word quibble, so she's an excellent presence on this song. And I was excited and a bit nervous, actually, to see her on this album, you know, featuring this artist. I, I loved her album, uh, Youth Novels. But you Wait, two well, you not... introduced me to that in in the lull, where we weren't really listening to you two. Yeah, just and for actually, some new music. In, a, in a drunken time when we tried to do the very first edition of Review 2 about five years ago. Which was then exclusively a drunk podcast. Yeah, the, the, with the idea that we, ju- we would start sober and get drunk throughout the podcast. Mm. I wonder why that podcast didn't take off. Well, you can see how badly I can manage my words 
you know, sober. So, <laughs> um, but it's weird but because this is, this is an artist you introduced me to. Yeah, and I was very excited when I was listening to this. I was sat there in my little, you know, you two listening party. Uh, by this point, I'm loving the album. I know, I know how good it is. Um, and I'm like, oh, I wonder who this female singer is because I hadn't looked at the liner notes. Yeah, and and I just said to my friends, it sounds like Lucky Lie. I, no, I would say it sounds like Licky Lee. Mm. But I, I, at that point, I said, it sounds like Likey Lie. And my mate went, it's not going to be Likey Lie. Stop going on about Likey Lie. And I was so un- so happy <laughs> when I did look at the liner notes and it was actually Likey Lie. Because mm. normally you kind of hope it's someone yeah, uh, and it's not actually them. So it, that was the first victory for this song. <laughs> um, another hidden gem, great last track. Uh, you mentioned how bad the end of some U2 records can get this is not one of them uh, again this song has a early morning hangover quality to it like sleep like a baby tonight um, Likey, uh, Likey Lie or Licky Lee however you pronounce it says this song was about creating intimacy uh, and it does sound intimate mm. it, it's a song about sharing life taking on the shape of someone else's pain uh, that that line the, the bit about being you know someone else um it almost sounds strange, like it's a stranger. Hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, can you explain a little bit more fully? In the lyrics, and I've now forgotten the lyrics because obviously I'm talking about um, when you feel someone else's pain. Taking on the shape of someone else's pain. Yeah. God knows it's not easy. Yeah, but that, that the, the thing that they sing about someone else. Yeah. And describing a lover as someone. Or someone else, you know, or somebody. It's it's a bit strange. Why why would you refer to a lover as well? I, I as almost a stranger. Well, I don't see this. I mean, I don't see this as a, a a relationship between lovers to me. And I think the music video kind of goes with this reading of the song. Um, although it could be about, it could definitely be about a romantic relationship. But I think it's to do with, and obviously this is within the context of the troubles which have been throughout this album. It's about trying to understand that someone else can actually have a rich and deep experience of pain, which is as deep and biting and as energizing in whatever way as your own. So when he's saying, you know, um, which it feeds into the the troubles, yeah. of Northern Ireland. And I think the video is about um, is staging um, a love relationship that is occurring between almost in that kind of you know star-crossed lover kind of thing between yeah. people from different factions within it is. this it's a modern day um romeo and juliet yeah yeah i mean so you have those those warring factions and then so yeah i think it's, it's probably got elements of both in it but being able to take over someone else's pain which is the opposite to the opposite side that is explored in this song is about someone being taken over piece by piece by hatred so when you know they're saying now oh, i've forgotten the line what's the line where, where, the, where that point's made um, God knows it's not easy. No, it's a different bit. Um, amuse yourselves at home while we scramble <laughs> for lyrics in our brain. Right, this is annoying me. I'm going to have to get the lyrics out because I can't believe how much of a um, negative mindset I'm having. I'll put some funny intermi- intermission Monty Python style music in this bit. <laughs> Thank you. 
and we're back. And we're Do back. Do I need the lyrics out? I'm such an idiot, honestly. Right. So it's it's the main refrain of the song, okay, which Licky Lee sings. Somebody stepped inside your soul. Somebody stepped inside your soul. Little by little they robbed and soul till someone else was in control. So that's the point I was trying to get to terribly. The the point of someone else can have that influence on you to take away bits and pieces of your humanity, take away bits of your innocence and just leave you in a state where all you've got is hatred. And that's the point where you blow up 33 people. You know, that's the point where you take up a violent response to a difficult situation. Um, so again, I think they've, they've, they've done this really well to me. I think the fact that there wasn't a huge backlash against this album for being an insensitive caricaturing or cliching of, of the troubles it takes a lot of a lot of um a lot of courage to release a song called the troubles from a band like you two who know that they've got critics just ready for them to make a massive you know kind of um a massively terrible statement and then they can write you know article after article well that's the thing like this album got reviewed really well when they actually talked about the album it did yeah um, and and the only criticism about this album was the way it was released, and that's why we've not talked about it, because quite frankly, it doesn't matter how it was released. Mm. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect how good the songs are. No. It doesn't affect how much I enjoy them. Um, so that's why we've not talked about um, the the way Apple released this song. And that was Apple. Apple paid you two a lot of money to do it that way. So they didn't, they didn't twist Bono's arm, did they? I, I, I just don't like Apple, so like, I'm just gonna. Um, but this podcast is available on iTunes, so I was gonna say that's <laughs> kicking ourselves in the foot. Um, I'm fine with Apple. If you no, want to send this, me some stuff, it's a great song. It, it is a good song and it a, a lovely, lovely way to finish um, an album. It's got a lot of power and a lot of dignity. This song, yeah, the 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 whole album. Uh, has and yeah. uh, what a story it's told from the miracle of Joy Ramon to this and okay, if if this is the last song on the album and we know that Songs of Experience is right around the corner and apparently was right around the corner when they released this yeah right um, where is this going to take us this is obviously part of, you know this is part one of a two part structure where do we go from here Exactly, um, and, and I have to say, I'm really excited about a, a U2 album. Uh, from a point where I really wasn't that bothered after No Line on the Horizon. Mm. Uh, if you U2 wanted to bring out another album, fine. We'll see what it's like when it gets here. I can't wait, and I've been in this state of just wanting yep. the next U2 album since September 2014. Uh, we're recording this in late December 2016 according to all rumours it is round the corner so maybe by the time this podcast is released Songs of Experience will finally be here or hopefully at least the lead single will have been released well it's almost um, I mean it is entirely accidental that I mean we'd scheduled to record on this day we'd set that up yeah um, and then this you know this quote from Chris Evans comes out now Chris Evans is in, in no way a you know, concrete, reliable source. No, he's not an authority figure at all. No, um, but the thing is, that's still... I, I I almost don't want to get myself excited because I know what you two are like. They will keep putting things back. If well, I'd allow myself... Apparently it's been finished for four weeks. That, that's the quote. But they said it's it was been finished. finished. Yeah, no, but it's finished. 
normally it's 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 nearly the, it's nearly ready or edgy still working away. Uh, at this point, from this quote, it's been finished for four weeks. It is not being touched anymore. It is just waiting to be released. I think you're gonna have to put chains on both the studio door, all the equipment, and on the edge himself to keep him out of that studio to not fiddle with things. I'm gonna make a prediction. Oh, go on. Do you reckon they'd do it again? Do what again? An Apple release again. Um, the problem with that is that A, they got such a backlash before, and B, any surprise factor is, you know, it's like, oh, you two have done it again. I think it's more surprising if they do it twice. <laughs> well, they say that's the uh, definition of madness, is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. And I don't know who they are, though. Maybe they wouldn't do this. Maybe they wouldn't do this. But currently we're not... Well, myself and Johnny, we've not hit Christmas Day yet. But when you li- when you hit this podcast, we'll be in the new year. Hmm. Um, Happy New Year. Would they release it Christmas Day? Um, that's an interesting statement to be making. I mean, because then the album is then in a weird way tied to Christmas. If it's done and it's been done before we... Yeah, I see what you mean. It's another I'm, gift, isn't it? I'm thinking it's going to be released... Either Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Well, imagine if now when when and you... it's a complete surprise as well. Well, when you two did the original launch of Songs of Innocence, there there were a lot of you know kind of wry tweets about it and comedic reactions to it. A lot of it funny. I mean, I'm yeah. not without a sense of humour. Graham Linehan, the writer, or well, sorry, co-writer of Father Ted, I think he was the one who tweeted something like. Oh, I've just seen Bono putting some CDs through my front letterbox, you know. <laughs> now, that's funny. And, and But imagine if for Christmas, you wake up on that Christmas morning, you've got the snow covering the beautiful landscape, and what's that on your mat? But a lovely Christmas new album with a tag, you know, saying from you 2 Yeah. Unlikely, but that would be interesting. It's just, it's strange... That this is, uh, what date are we on? I've just well, realised as well. Well, that... we we are now we're, we're half past midnight on the twenty third of December. This is why I'm talking nonsense. Um, so me and Johnny very late in the studio tonight. We've we've struggled to get into the studio any earlier, and it's just strange that you know there's rumours. You normally wouldn't hear anything this time of year. This time yeah. it's Christmas, and there's, that's it. Wait till January, and then bring out you know all the new stuff. Then, mm. if they do it again, then it, it's just, it's just it, it's kind of an f you to everybody that criticised them the first time. Yeah, I, I think it'd be an interesting statement. Definitely. I mean, I'd be I'd be more than happy for them to do it. I mean, obviously because then I'd get the whole album right there yeah. and I can listen to it again. Um, it would be yeah, it would be a good statement. I think, particularly on on Christmas Day. Um. I do think, though, that we might be getting a bit of um, wishful thinking in here. So I did a, um, a poll today on YouTube Start, which is a great website, lovely community. And I did fill in today when I thought it would be released. And I said, I think I said the second half of 2017. Now, this is before I saw that quote. Well, here's my argument. Go on, then. If it's done, I don't know why it's not released. It doesn't take a long time to release a record these days. Certainly doesn't take four weeks. And to be honest, whenever... I mean, this is certainly the case in this album. Even though this took so long to record in terms of... Okay, what are we recording? What album is this? What's its identity? It can't be like the 
dog's breakfast that no line on the horizon was. When they actually got down to it, Ed said, and Bono said, a lot got done in the last few weeks. In characteristic E2 form, they were still recording right up to the deadline. And maybe that's what accounts for some of the freshness on this record, because they were still in the studio, just like they were in Fast Cars, which is one of the freshest sounding songs, I think. Um, so maybe it is done, because, and because once they've finished, then they're done. So look, here's hoping. Please bring out a new a new album. And uh, when that occurs, I'm not sure if we made it clear before. This season is I and E and B. So we are doing Innocence. We're going to do Experience as soon as we can when it gets released. Obviously, it might be difficult logistically, but we'll really try and get the review out as soon as possible. Give you our first thoughts um, as you're all experiencing it at the same time. We're still in the review for um, the Troubles. Uh God, yeah. <laughs> so that was the troubles plus um, a very excited review of the album, I think, in general. Um, but we're going to shut up and we're going to do everybody's favourite feature. Oh, the sweetest thing! Oh, God, I, thought, I was hoping you'd be too tired to do that stupid voice. Go on, what's your sweetest thing? My sweetest thing? I've not written it down. Um, there, there are a few contenders. Um, I think it's got to be, just from discovering this track through this review too, listen, it's got to be This Is Where You Can Reach Me Now. Uh, mm-hmm. I really love it. I think it could have been a single. I think it still could be a single. Um, that I think they could find further uses for that song. I think it was pretty underrepresented on the on the tour as well. I really wanted to hear that live, and yeah. and I don't think it was played a lot. Certainly um, if we didn't see it. But no, for me, this it, that, was the, that was the standout track. But honourable mention to Every Breaking Wave because that is the best song, uh, best U2 pop song in 25 years, easily. On this listen, my sweetest thing was Cedarwood Road. Um, I really just viscerally experienced this song again, almost like the first time I heard it. So good. Love the riff. Um, Always surprises surprises me how uh, differently we hear the album. <laughs> uh, as as in tune as uh, our reviews sometimes seem to be, yeah. we do that. They are different albums to us. Yeah, of course. Um, so many honourable mentions that I could do, um, but yeah, I'll just I'll keep it simple as that. Very very strong showing though, and a lot of contenders for the best song on the album. Mm, dirty day. Okay, so my dirty day on this listening was song for someone it's not in any way a bad song it's so elegant and it's very very beautiful and simple um but it for me it's the what most song did you say song for someone song for someone All yeah right. it's not song for somebody is uh, <laughs> or, or owed to anyone this is a song for somebody it just wouldn't scam would it um <laughs> but it's just it's just comparative to the, the the rest of the album it's just the least electrifying for me it's, yeah <laughs> and mine is cedarwood road Oh, sod off! It is my 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 dirty day, Cedarwood Road. But hey, this isn't a bad album at all. And, and currently, this is um, probably my most favorite U two album uh, at the moment. It, oh, wow. It's not pop, you know. Pop has a special place in my heart and is generally my favorite. But this is the album I listen to most, and it's been that way since it came out. Uh, so flipping album status confirmed then. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> no, uh, absolutely flipping album, yeah. Yeah, there's no argument about that and it's it's so good to be able to say that after the um, you know, the debacle. Well, you know like um I think it was Rolling Stone or Time magazine that coined the the, the term, you know, U2's trilogy. 
and there's Joshua Tree and Acton Baby, and then they made the case for um, all, you can't leave all that you can't leave behind mm. being in there, which I think is, you know, good. You know, it's not it's not an overstatement. Could this for you be the third great album? Um, the thing is, it's difficult because now I'm thinking like a Rolling Stone editor or reporter, so it's very difficult for me to to answer that question. See, the thing is, for me, Joshua Tree, yes. Acton Baby, yes. Definitely not All You Can't Leave Behind. Um, if Unforgettable Fire had been released correctly, in my own very biased opinion, you know, and reorganised, that to me would actually be, it would stand with Joshua Tree and Acton Baby. This album is a, is brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant, but it doesn't quite get into the Joshua Tree Act and Baby Club. Um, maybe I'll change my mind on that ten years from now. I guess maybe just because I see it as too much of a new album, but it's it's very close. Yeah, that's always my panic as well. Mm. Uh, that you know, it, do I actually love this or do I just like it because it's nice and shiny and new? Yeah, but the question is, and we'll get to this when we get to our um, songs of expectations predictions. This this album, or this whole experience, cannot stand on its own. For better or for worse, it cannot stand on its own. So if Songs of Experience is bad, then it tarnishes this album yeah. in a way that if Zeropa had been terrible, it wouldn't have tarnished Acton Baby, even though it was it's kind of a quote-unquote sister record. I don't think I like that, that phrase, but there you go. Um in, in the same way that Joshua Tree isn't tarnished by Rattle and Hum, even though they were clearly not done with that style of music. Mm. But they've set this up, and if they manage to pull it off, it will be almost like a new achievement in, in U2 history. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to discuss that, and that'll be released pretty soon. We, you won't have to wait a week for that. Or it might possibly form part of the Songs of Experience review. We don't know. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sure you're not um, too worried about having not enough content because this feels like it's a bit gone on for two years. <laughs> anyway, um, outro notes. Um, I was really nervous when I first listened to this album because I wanted to like it and I wanted you two to be relevant again. It was about six tracks in when I realised this is a good album and that doesn't stop. I know this is a good album. I still love this album two and a half years later. There's no real weak spot on the album. It's great music. Uh, it annoys me that people still complain about this al- album on principle without listening to it. Yep. Uh, like it's Christmas time. Imagine someone gives you a, uh, gives you a gift uh, and you don't even unwrap it because you don't like the person that's giving it to you. It's insane. If you're walking around uh, a shopping centre and there's some free cheese on the cheese counter, you take the cheese. Everybody takes the cheese. Whether you like the cheese or not, you take the cheese and you go, oh, well, at least it was free. But songs of Wednesday now, <laughs> but it doesn't. That doesn't seem to carry on into music. And I love discovering new music. I don't mind listening to ten bad albums if I find an album that I love. Hmm. Um, but obviously, people don't uh, don't agree with me on that one. Um, if they're going to give an album away for free, thank God it was this album. Because if it was No Line on the Horizon, that would have sunk you too. Yeah. I, I if they'd have given No Line on the Horizon away for free. I don't think we'd be sat here talking about you two. No, but I guess the whole the whole structure of the music scene had changed so much that, I, I mean, that was such an awkward phase for the whole industry because we're transitioning from CDs to 
predominantly MP3 formats now. Yeah. We've moved from a U2 that can give that can basically charge quite a lot of money for a particular U2 iPod, you know, and have number one singles to a band that inserts its album for free, which Apple paid for, admittedly. You know, it's totally different. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. They couldn't have um, given that away, and they shouldn't. I'm glad they didn't. No. And I, I'm right in thinking you bought the album anyway, didn't you? Yeah, of course I did. Yeah, and I bought it three times, I think. Why? I, I bought the deluxe CD, uh, and I bought uh, two two of the records. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Uh, one to play, yeah. and one to keep nice and lovely in the uh, in the wrapping. <laughs> Speaking uh, of anoraks. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. That's why we're here. Um, but for Songs of Innocence... I, that is absolutely everything we can say. There is nothing else we can say. Not really. Um, um, apart from the fact that we will get round to proper reviews of Crystal Ballroom and Lucifer's Hands, and maybe even just look through that deluxe CD at some point. It will turn up. Yeah, it, it will. Um, we're going to try and cover as much as possible. Don't know when you'll be hearing this, um, but we, you know, we want to we want to have a full season when we yeah when we release everything. And hopefully, hopefully, when you are listening to this, there will be something new, at least a single. Uh, and maybe my prediction of Christmas Day came true. But from me and Johnny here at Review 2, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review two to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review two or search for the review two podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review two contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. <laughs>